You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. So, Chris DeBanks, welcome to the podcast. How are we today? I'm doing very well, Zaid. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, it's been a bit of a hectic day so far, but it's kind of slowing down a bit now. So, so yeah, I can take a breather and enjoy enjoy being on your show. So, I like it. I like it. That midweek kind of stressful kind of yeah. I love the fact they kind of like it's uh, it's easing out a little bit because uh, yeah. now I get to, now me and you get to have a bit more of a, a conversation about everything that's going on right now. I love the fact that you're saying that you're a little bit busy because uh, there is a few things I definitely want to jump into about the label mm-hmm. stuff as well. So it's going to be great. Yeah, of course, um, man. First question for you um, is mm. how did you get your start in the music industry? Wow. Um, yeah, I suppose I got my start in the music industry like a lot of people, really. I, I started off uh, as a bassist um, at the age of sort of 16, 17, um, joined a couple of really bad bands um, and, uh, you know, started cutting my teeth on stage. Um, and yeah, that was that was kind of my first foray, really. I, you know, I'd grown up loving loving guitar based music um, and uh, yeah, started playing guitar in my teens and uh, moved on to bass at, at 16, 17. And then, yeah, through that kind of uh, did the whole band thing until I was uh, sort of 25 and then I, I moved down to Brighton and what we quickly learned being in a band at that point was you stood a much better chance of making some money if you just put the gigs on yourself rather than actually going through promoters so so we started booking venues and we started uh, selling our own tickets and things like that and that was kind of my uh, my real kind of first bite of the bite of the apple if you like so uh, from there I kind of went into uh, did, did the, carried on doing the band thing but did a lot of promotion uh, around events and things like that um, got into a little bit of band management a little bit of tour management working with bands in Brighton uh, you know that we we were touring with so i'd get into the tour management side of things so negotiating you know fees for for gigs out of town and stuff and it kind of built from there really so i i, I kind of uh yeah like i say fell into band management did a lot of uh, promotion um and then when i was 30 i thought you know I've, I've, i want to make a bit of a career of this so i um i went off and studied music business and management at, uh northbrook met um fantastic course three-year course um came out of that uh and and kind of thought you know this was going to be it i was going to go and work for one of the big record labels and i'd have an expensive count and i'd be going to gigs every night and this would be this would be me made but obviously my own uh personal circumstances were um were stripping life away from me which i'm sure we'll talk about in a moment um and then yeah uh and then when i was when i was sort of 30 37 38 i decided to start we are not saints so that's been kind of my journey albeit uh, a messy one um to to get to this point now yeah me and you have spoken before this interview and mm. i loved how passionately you spoke about um your your let, let's say your mm. cause uh and everything that you're, you're you you stand for um so i decided not to i did a lot of research but i decided not to really jump into many of like the question based stuff because i feel like me and you can just have a conversation about this totally, um, yeah. it's uh it's, it's something that a lot of people do struggle with even if they don't realize they're struggling with it um, mm. But one of the main reasons that me and you are having this conversation is it is recovery month. This is what September is. Can you yeah. kind of jump into what recovery month is all about and why it actually means something? Sure. To you? I mean, God, recovery month is something that I, I never even knew prior to finding recovery it even existed. I mean, it was just, just one of those things that just passed me by. I mean, obviously, I was 
in the throes of my own addiction for for 20 years and you know from starting off from drinking in my teens to to kind of you know using all manner of drugs and things um, and you know by the time I was 35 I was completely washed up and when I went through treatment they they said to me you know there's this thing recovery month would you help us put on a show they know I have background in music and production and so they were kind of like you know would you be interested and I said sure sure um, but recovery month really I mean it's 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 a massive thing it's global um, and it's really to raise awareness that um, you know, there is another life, there is another way um, that you can live, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be all drink and drugs, you know, in, especially in UK culture, you know, drinking is is nature, I mean, when they opened the pubs again, you know, after lockdown, you could see people were just starved of that, you know, they thought, oh my god, I can do this again, and everyone's going out and going crazy, and it's like, we we haven't missed it, I haven't missed the pubs being shut, because I'm in recovery, I've, I've just got a different way of doing things, but recovery month really is is a celebration but it's also to raise awareness and to give people hope you know i think that's the key thing um to raise awareness and to give people hope that that there is a, a different a different uh, a different way of doing life without drinking drugs and um a lot of the great organizations i mean there's hundreds of us around the country different organizations doing different creative things uh, different treatments services and things and everyone does their own little thing for recovery month so you know it might be a a, a recovery arts festival that I've, I've just spoken at over in bristol it was all done on zoom this year um there's there's various different things happening all over the country and uh, you know anyone that's interested in tapping into that i mean social media hashtag recovery month and it's it's you know you can go and find out more information about what's happening around around your area but it really is just is it's a month of just going hey we're here we're in recovery if you like what we've got come and knock on our door and you know if if you're not you know if you if you if you think you need help go and speak to somebody who's putting their hand up mm. where does the music industry find itself with something like recovery month do you find a lot more musicians or a lot more people in the music industry uh have kind of a little bit more to say is it an industry that's very much highlighted in these kind of situations i think it's i don't think it's highlighted enough to be honest i think you know there's obviously uh there are there's some great things happening within the music industry there's huge conversations happening around mental health there's some really high profile artists who are who are you know coming out and saying I'm I'm in recovery I don't drink I don't use drugs I've had my problems this is where I'm at and and some very public relapses in recent years you know people that have really gone off the rails again I mean we just uh, we just marked ten years of losing Amy Winehouse you know and and there's there's been some incredible stuff on TV but I think the industry in general doesn't necessarily plug into it. Um, I think it's still I think addiction is still quite misunderstood in a lot of the industry. I mean, I've spoken to some friends who who are in, in recovery and have had successful careers in music. And they sort of say, you know, people are accepting when you get to a certain level, but certainly at grassroots level, it's it's kind of still very much fueled by alcohol and that kind of party lifestyle. And I think recovery month is just something that people just go, especially venue owners who have got, you know, they, they make all their money through alcohol sales. So they're not going to suddenly go, hey, it's recovery month. Let's do a sober night because they'd lose two, three, four thousand pounds on the bar. So there's a long way to go for the industry to kind of tap into it. But I think uh, with attitudes changing and conversations uh, that I've been having and, and hopefully organisations springing up like us, uh, you know, I think that they're conversations that can start to happen. Um, mm. I mean, we've we've just spoken with uh, Wilster Music Festival and they're really keen next September for us to come and do a sober stage. And it's the first time they're ever going to have a sober stage at Worcester Music Festival. And they're like, we, we love what you're doing. We want you to come and do this thing. So hopefully with the smaller kind of, you know, little town music festivals like that, then we start to see a bigger conversation happening around the bigger festivals, you know, and, and also uh, sort of specific things around recovery, I think. 
Yeah, I'm going to say a few facts um, and I then want you to kind of go into, if, if you can go into a, a mm. little bit deeper from like maybe your own experiences. Uh, so we found that musicians are three to four times more likely to use substances than any other professionals. Um, in one study, 45% of musicians reported problems with alcohol. In another study, it was found that drug or alcohol overdose was the most likely cause of death in a musician. These, these of course, studies, um, I believe, are UK ones. Um, and, of course, me and you have spent probably many times backstage at festivals and, mm. and venues. Uh, none of that was shocking to me. Um, mm. I was kind of... But I guess maybe for someone listening in right now who is nine to five, who maybe only gets a little bit crazy on a Friday and Saturday night... Um, this these kind of facts then relative to your own experience and what you kind of went through from the age of correct me if I'm wrong, did you say from the age of about 30 to 38? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did do, do, do these ring true for that that period of your life? Yeah, I mean I think I think definitely, you know, my time in a touring band and a, and a gigging band. I mean, it, it it when you talk about music and you talk about musicians, I mean there there, there is this kind of uh, glamorization I suppose with with the kind of lifestyle you know you're out every night of the week if you're lucky kind of playing and gigging and it is free drinks and there's there's this kind of party lifestyle and I think a lot of young people buy into that and I think that 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 for want of a better word rock and roll lifestyle is 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 the thing that a lot of people kind of see as being the glamorous whereas actually you know it's it's not glamorous when you're passing out in the back of the tour bus and, and, and you know too drunk to play or, or too high to have a conversation with a journalist or whatever it might be um it th those facts don't surprise me at all i mean it's an industry where you know you can be hyper busy for six weeks while you're recording an album and then nothing happens while all the the marketing being put in place and all the infrastructure and then suddenly you're off on tour for you know three to six months to a year um and being on tour is in itself is a, is a massive trigger because you, you know you're you might be drinking because you're bored or drinking to to get to sleep at night and then you use, start to use drugs to wake you up and it, it just becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy really where where you know you you may come back off a tour and you're just like blown to bits then when you come off tour you've got massive anti-climax of, of of being like back to normal life sitting in your flat going god i've, I've spent the last th six months playing to a thousand people every night and now i'm stuck at home with nothing to do and it and so that you know you might start drinking during the day because it's just again it's this breaking that boredom i mean i've i've sort of i've said in the past is it's a bit a little bit like i imagine going to war you know moments of massive excitement and then long periods of not much happening and it's it's that kind of uh that kind of thing and i think from my own experience, yeah, I mean, all the way through my 20s, um, I was surrounded by musicians who drank and used drugs. And if we, you know, if we weren't gigging, we were just around each other's houses, listening to music, playing music, getting high, taking drugs, you know, and then and then it all just carried on. And that was for 10 years. And then, you know, by the time I was 30, I was starting to see the cracks showing. I'd lost a few friendships, a few musicians just had completely washed their hands of me and just wanted to see you know to deck me rather than actually work with me um and it yeah I think by the time I was 35 I was like wow that's that's the end of that chapter sort of thing but um yeah those those figures don't really surprise me and and um I mean the thing is I would encourage anybody who who is in the industry and specifically you know musicians there's some great 
great organizations i mean help musicians do some some fantastic work with with supporting professional musicians um to find recovery and to and to, to get help and, and, and music support as well uh if you're on the industry side and you are that nine to five person who, who only gets a little bit messed up on a friday and you find yourself in a, in a couple of years you're getting a little bit more messed up midweek and and you know if you find yourself going down that way the music support is a great is a great facility as well um yeah i think i think hopefully that covers that question <laughs> yeah you, you mentioned help musicians uk now um they, they conducted a uh, a study as well that found that musicians are three times more likely to experience mental health issues than mm. any other profession you also mentioned amy winehouse and let's let's say this is not just from a music standpoint but an entertainment standpoint mm. you have situations like caroline flack these kind of situations and 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 unfortunate circumstances end up being bombarded by the media we get little kind of i don't know uh hypes or let's take like a graph for instance there'll be mm. all these this talk about mental health mental health boom 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 the google search results are all up about mental health and then we a couple of weeks later we hear nothing um do we believe that these kind of situations or actually, let me word this a little bit differently. Mm. The glamorization of the rock and roll and entertainment industry, do you feel like the things that are portrayed in mainstream media and films and movies kind of fuel that lifestyle even more? And do you think the events like an Amy Winehouse or a Caroline Flack does much to even solve the problem? Or do you think it just gets swept under the rug and we don't talk about it? <sighs> I don't know. That's a, that's a difficult one to answer because I think it, you can come at it from two different angles. And I think I think the media will always grab headlines. It's always that's that's kind of uh, that that headline grabbing stuff, and and they'll interview people talking about mental health, but ultimately they're there to sell papers. They're there to get as many hits on their website as they can, and and that's that's a real tragedy about this. They the the, the media can be a mouthpiece for really positive change, but. Uh, ultimately that's not their kind of that how they view their purpose um i think definitely within the industry i think things yeah and the entertainment industry definitely i think uh conversations happen um especially when you know, when we lost amy when, when caroline flack um, sadly passed away and uh, you know i think the conversations there are about mental health but i think not enough is being done really on a physical and personal level to kind of uh, make any lasting change i think you know we we can we can all sit in a seminar and talk about mental health and how to, how to improve our own mental health. And we can all sit and, and, and have these, these incredible sessions with people walk away feeling brilliant. Um, but are we passing that information on and where, where within industry are the people that you can go to if you're really having a problem, you know, it's, it's yeah. Okay. If you're at the very top of your, your profession, you might get referred to a Harley street psychologist or something, but if you're, middle management or your your you know musician who's selling enough records to stay on the label for every year you know who's looking after your welfare and that's that's the thing we can all go and sit in seminars but where are the people within the organizations within the businesses that are there specifically for the role of, of artist welfare and of, of, of individual welfare um if you look at the nhs occupational therapy is a huge thing but in the industry, there's no real occupational therapy. So it's it's uh, if that was there, then this conversation probably wouldn't be happening because everybody would be running around going, oh, I've been really well looked after. But mm. I mean, there is a duty of care personally as well, I think. But I think it's um, if the industry really sat up and took notice about what's going on around them. And, and you know, it's been happening for years. I mean, Whitney Houston and, you know, 
all the way back to Jimi Hendrix, you know, there's there's this um, there's there's always been this this kind of rock and roll glamorization. Um, but it might be time for change, I think. Yeah. What about the contradiction? What about the um, the rock and roller kind of films, the Wolf of Wall Street kind of stuff that mm. that show these crazy lifestyles and people like, yeah, that's what I want to get into. That's why. Well, to be fair, Wolf of Wall Street, we're talking about the nine to five kind of professions as well which yeah do, you know what I mean at, at the end of the day um uh humans are going to be humans and I think people mm. just see this kind of stuff they want to be involved in it so do you think we need less of that or when we do see a film like that when we do have a some of them are actually kind of real life stories should mm. there be a follow-up of if you do have problems with alcohol if you do have problems with drugs this is where you can seek help yeah, I think I mean I think that would be a really great thing, but I think you know we can't you can't vet those sorts of stories. I mean they are. I mean I've watched the the Motley Crue uh, film on 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 that specific streaming channel, and um, you know I sat and watched. We can it mention it. I must. Sorry. <laughs> we can mention the. With the oh, we can the, mention the, it on the, Netflix then. Okay, cool. Yeah. I didn't know if I can product placement. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've watched the Motley Crue film, and it's you know I must have read the dirt. I mean, God. 15 times back when I was in my 20s you know and, and yeah for me that was a real kind of like, I want to live that lifestyle it's all fast cars and girls and money and drugs and you know and it was it seemed really glamorous but ultimately if you finish that book if you watch the end of that film if you watch the end of the Wolf of Wall Street these things don't end well for anybody you know it's watch the whole film don't sit there and watch it until when it starts turning bad turn it off learn the lessons from the films and I suppose that's the thing is we love a bit of that kind of wild culture i mean at heart i think quite a lot of us are um are quite anarchic in our approach to the world and we like to see people operating beyond the sphere of of the law or beyond the sphere of what is what is acceptable in modern society and we love to see that stuff um i suppose yeah i think the only thing that you could really do with 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 that sort of thing is to is to say have something at the end saying if you've been affected by anything in this in this film then please reach out to an analyst of organizations and I think that's the thing, but I don't think you'll stop young people trying to live outside of outside of society. I think that's kind of, mm. I mean, definitely, if you just said that to me when I was 18, 19, I'd have told you to jump off a bridge, probably. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that was the way I wanted my life to go. But hey, yeah, you know, so yeah, that, I think that yeah. what comes back to my previous answer, really, with the duty of care. It's like, you know, yes, we've got the next generation of musicians coming into the industry. They're chasing a dream of something, you know, and it's watching out for the ones that are on the path of self-destruction and going, you know, let's just rein this in before you get that big, or not that there are any big advances anymore, but before, before you start to make some money, let's just check yourself. What's what your motive here? How long do you want your career to be? Do you want to be around for the next couple of years, get as messed up as humanly possible, and then be back on the scrap heap? Or do you want to, you know, do you want to have a long career in music? Hmm. I get you. No, I, I I totally get that. When you talk about uh, we are not saints, this is mm. this is a record label set up by yourself. Mm. Um, and can you tell me why you guys are so unique? Um, well, we're unique principally because we're the only record label in the UK that works solely with musicians in recovery from addiction, um, addiction and alcoholism. So and, and related social issues as well, such as mental health that you mentioned, ex-offending. Um, so we we started back in 2018. So we're for this October. Um, and the thing I found when I when I came into recovery myself, was I was surrounded by musicians who either had a career in music or 
had such great talent that they should have had some sort of career, but they were they were not uh, because of their addiction. They've been robbed of that opportunity. So what we set to do, set out to do, and and you know, don't get me wrong, nothing we do is is really earth shatteringly groundbreaking. But we set out to give those musicians the opportunity to kind of just fulfil some of their dreams of their dreams so one of the artists we're working with at the moment milky he's 30 years old he's an incredible rapper um and we're working with him we've just released his first album his second album is he's going into production i think tomorrow um he's going in, into the studio for the first time um and he just he's just always wanted to make enough money to live out of being a rapper so we're like let's just do this let's just try and make this happen for him you know so he's mm-hmm. got a load of gigs coming up and and we just start building up his building up his profile but other musicians that we work with it might be that they just they just really want to have a record you know they've never they've never set foot in a music studio so they they go in and they they can record a record and then we put that out for them and just see how it flies you know and it's um what makes us unique i think is just that you know we're we are a not-for-profit so we don't we don't make any money um anything we do make as a label goes back into supporting people in recovery um, we're staffed by people in recovery. Um, most of our shows are sober events, so you, you can't get a drink when you come to our show. Some we're, we're, we're kind of changing that dynamic a little bit where we're going to have a bar in a separate part of the venue. So if you do feel the need that you desperately need a pint, um, that you can bring it into the venue with you. But be aware that it's, it's a sober space. Um, so most people there will be sober. So we just I think when I when I set up We're Not Saints, I myself had had been back in the industry for two or three years and was really kind of looking around me going looking around myself just going you know this is still the industry that i left eight years previous or five years previous and looking at it and going can we not do this differently i never set out to completely change the music industry because you could you just can't i'm one person and it would take many many lifetimes but it was like can we build the music industry in miniature that fits within the conventional industry that just does it differently that just doesn't that, that puts artist welfare as, as the absolute pinnacle of everything we do it um can we put creativity and recovery together and creative recovery is an incredible vehicle i mean the the, the statistics um you know for for people who are have a creative outlet and work some sort of program uh, side by side you know their, their chances of long-term recovery are, are remarkable and i think um yeah what sets us apart we're unique we're completely unique i think in, mm. in the uk i think uh you know everyone we speak to in the in, in recovery thinks that you know we're we're the best thing since sliced bread and everyone that i speak to in the industry goes what wow what an amazing what an amazing venture and um yeah i i would encourage anybody who's in the industry that's just interested in in what we do just to reach out and kind of i'm happy to come wherever in the country and talk to your staff about being about addiction and and how to get into recovery and signpost people or anything like that you know that's part of our part of our remit is just to be there to help really yeah we the the community that you guys have mm. and the community that you found yourself in this is is it a uh, a high demand across the entire country is this kind of like a um i know you said some people like it's the best thing since sliced bread like i get to mm. go to a show without any drink in there without any kind of um temptation to, to 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 go do this and that do you do you find that this can grow uh and i know like you said you're just a very small part of mm. a, a massive thing but do you think this can be a a a new thing in in the uk or do you think this country is too um i don't 
I don't want to offend anybody, but too alcohol-driven. Yeah, too, too set in its ways, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But do you ways. think there's room for you across the whole country? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I like to think so. I mean, we, we got some funding back in March um, and we're basically going out to different recovery organisations at the moment and going like, look, you know, this is what we do. Um, do you want to set up an open mic or, or your own live music events in the, in the towns and cities where you guys are? So uh, we're working with an organisation in Manchester, uh, Bristol Drugs Project. Uh, we just came back from Scarborough. We did a show there on Friday night. Um, we've got uh, we're going off to Suffolk uh, in October to set up an event there. Um, so, I mean, hopefully with the organisations we're working with, there's definitely an appetite for uh, for for seeing performance and for having sober events within within these areas. I think a lot of it is down to um, maybe, maybe lack of expertise, uh, why it's not been tried before. But certainly, you know, that's what we bring. So we're offering, uh, you know, service users and people engaged with organisations musicians training around putting on events and doing their own events and it might be something small from a coffee shop or it might be you know a big a big bigger event space we don't know yet but it's um a big art space but yeah it's um it's it's definitely something there's an appetite for and i think what's really interesting at the moment and certainly something that's become more and more prevalent in just the short time that we've been established is is the sober the sober curious you know the sober movement the fact that people are now wanting to have a night out but not necessarily drink you know god going to a gig and not having beer thrown over you for most people is is, is probably a really nice thing these days so um you know and i think that that movement and and especially the you know the sober movement coming out of america with young people now you know that they just they just don't want to drink i mean i have i have a sister who's the complete opposite of me she doesn't touch alcohol at all i think she's been drunk once in her life she loves going out, but she just she would prefer not to go anywhere where there's alcohol on sale or just where everybody is completely wasted, you know. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing. I think there'll there'll always be that kind of alcohol equals fun mentality because it's there. It's you know it's one of the only really legal drugs that we can get our hands on, um, and it's advertised and it's all around us. Um, but I think there's definitely an appetite for a change in the weather. I think people are. You know, whether you're in recovery or whether you just you're not in recovery, you don't have a problem, but you just don't want to be surrounded by wasted people all the time. I think that's I think that's where the the market is growing for us, and I think we're we're starting to attract, yeah, the people who who maybe don't have a problem but just want to have a quiet, a, 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 not a quiet, nothing about what we do is quiet, uh, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, but uh, a less raucous alcohol fuel night than than perhaps they would have otherwise. Yeah, because me and you, like I said, we spoke prior to this and I said to you, I've, I've never had alcohol in my life. For the listeners who don't know, I'm Muslim. I don't I don't drink. I've, I've, I've never drank. And it was such an interesting thing to hear sober gig or sober night out. Like I was just like, wow, there might be a place for me in that community mm. as well, because I I spend a ton of time at shows and at festivals and it it gets to a point where like if someone's just shouting in my ear and they're, they're all like again I I don't mean to offend anyone if I am but you know who you are so and so you know what I mean they'll they'll, they'll know they've been in that situation before yeah. um so I do believe there's a much wider community as well uh mm. that could definitely see the the tagline is sober night or, or whatever you guys put it as uh, and be very much interested in that. Could we see a We Are Not Saints Fest, do you think, over the next five oh, years? God, I'd love to. It's definitely on the cards. Um, I mean, we've been we've been having certainly been having conversations in the in the We Are Not Saints office about about how that could 
that could certainly what that could what sort of shape that could take. I mean, obviously, a festival is a is a big organisational thing. Uh, I think what I'd like to see happen is definitely the organisations that we're currently working with around the country, so like Bristol Drugs Projects and CGL up in Manchester. If we could pull resources and and collaboratively gather some funding to put something together i think that would be an amazing thing i think um i mean what i'd love to see happen um i don't know if emily evis listens to this podcast but you know a sober stage at glastonbury um you know a sober stage at the isle of white festival um why not why can't it happen you know you have mm. you have the healing fields at glastonbury a small stage up there where people that are in recovery or just are sober can go and have that that experience you know of being being with other sober people i think you know it's, the world is changing and i think uh yeah it, it's it'd be nice for people to 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 take, to take note um but yeah as far as i'd love to um yeah if anybody's interesting and wants to fund it i'm, I'm your man <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely um my last question for you here chris you've been absolutely amazing thank you so much for coming on uh this is a question i ask everyone who comes sure. on the podcast but i have a feeling that you're going to give me a very interesting answer to this okay um, my, my last question for everyone is what advice would you give to your younger self and oh <laughs> i think i think yours is going to be interesting because you could go one or two ways about this mm. um because i know of your experiences has led you here but maybe my question would be what would you potentially do differently or of course you can go with the first question advice for your younger self hit me with it so that's a really difficult that is a really really hard question uh, to answer because obviously if i hadn't trodden the path that i trod through life and 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 got to where i got to when things got that bad um i i wouldn't be where i am now um but i would i wouldn't be being very responsible if i didn't try to dissuade my younger self from treading that path so um oh god i suppose the advice i would give to my younger self is stop thinking you know everything Stop thinking that you know what you're about, what life is about, that you know absolutely everything and look at yourself more often. You know, stop being so angry and look at yourself more often and work out who you are sooner rather than later. And then you can start making some informed decisions about your life because, I, you know, in my 20s, I was just running around pissed off the whole time and just, you know, thinking that I had all the answers as every person in their 20s does. And I think if I had just looked in the mirror once more or, you know, a few more times and really figured out who I was and what I was doing, I probably would have had better memories of that decade, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. And might have got to where I am now sooner. You know, I'm 40 now and I think I'd have liked to start a Weird Not Saints perhaps in my 30s. But yeah, you know, which I did, but a bit younger, perhaps a few years earlier would have been better. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I think I think the if you had a time machine and you would have went back, uh, you probably would have stopped yourself from certain moments. Um, yeah, I think. But so. it has, yeah. yeah, it has led you here. Look, Chris, I want to give you the platform here to plug whatever you want to plug. Uh, you mentioned, of course, Milky's uh, debut mm -hmm. album is out now. Um, any of the other artists you're working with, or any of the things that you got going on, here's your uh, here's your platform to tell us. Thanks, Aid. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically, Milky's album, The Milky Way, is out now. Um, please do go and check it out on Spotify. We're immensely thrilled to have it out there. Um, he's really a young man with an incredible, incredible talent. Um, so, please do go and check that out. 
Um, do check in with We Are Not Saints um, social media. Um, it's just at Not Saints UK on, on every single platform um, so you can follow what we're doing. Um, we've got releases coming out this year, an electronic indie release from artists called Deepest J. We've got some acoustic albums coming out from some of our other artists. Um, we've got gigs galore happening. Um, we'll be back in Bristol, I believe, in November. Um, so uh, if anybody's in Bristol, please do check the website and, uh, sorry, the social media and, and, and come along and say hi. Um, and yeah, uh, www.wearenotsaints.co.uk for everything else. A massive thank you to Chris and his team. And if you want more info on We Are Not Saints, then visit www.wearenotsaints.co.uk. Also, if you or anyone you know needs help with alcohol or drug issues, then you can call the Salvation Army on 020 7367 4500. That's 020 7367 4500. And if you're looking for more interviews, AMAs, tips and tricks, and exclusive content, you can go ahead and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Famous Co. My name is Zaid. Tap that subscribe or follow button, and we'll see you all next time. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.